All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday worship. My name is Thomas. I'm on a pastoral staff here. And again, I uh, want to invite our church to not only join us in our Bible reading plan, but if this is something that's new for you, coming to church and engaging in these spiritual practices, or if the last time you've done anything like this was back in junior high days when your parents brought you to church, we do want to provide resources for you in order for you to kind of get started. On our link tree and also on our website, we do have a, a form or some type of little resource for us that describes how to do a quiet time. And pretty much this is a time where you just take apart each day to spend time reading through the scriptures and practicing in prayer. And if you go through our Bible reading plan, one thing that you're going to notice is we're reading through like three chapters a day through the Old Testament. And you know, some questions might be asked, why are we going through it all together? Why not smaller chunks? And one thing at our church that we have to say is with the Bible, it's, it's not an encyclopedia. It's not a book filled with inspirational quotes. It's not a book telling you how to live your life primarily. But we believe that the Bible, it's a story. It's meant to be a story that's read through over and over and over again. And the more you are reading and familiar with the story, the more the story actually starts to become your story. And so that's why we want to just expose our church to the story of what the Bible is trying to say. And so that's why we're going through the entire Old Testament to look at the story of what is written here in the Bible. And alongside of that too, our church, we are practicing this upcoming year, what we call a year in prayer. And that's because this year we really want to create a culture of prayer by practicing prayer both personally and uh, corporately as well. And the way we're kind of breaking it down with the sermon series is, uh, it's up on the screen here, we do want to talk about prayer in different forms or different ways. Oh, is the next slide? Yeah, we want to talk about the idea of talking prayer, which we talked about last week, asking prayer, listening prayer, unceasing prayer, and corporate prayer. Or the way that our church phrases it, next slide here, is talking to God, talking with God, listening to God, being with God, and doing this together. And so as we continue on this prayer series, what it means to pray as followers of Jesus, how we can experience God's presence as we pray to him, we're going to look at the gospel of Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. It comes right after the section of the Lord's Prayer that we went through last week. And here at our church, we believe that when we read the scriptures, God is speaking and alive. So we could all rise together as we read through Luke chapter 11. It should be in your programs or you could turn in your Bibles. I'm reading from the CSB, Luke chapter 11, and we'll look at verses... 5 to 13. This is Luke writing, starting in verse 5. He also said to them, this is Jesus speaking, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, let me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine is on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us before we begin. Lord, as we speak about prayer and learn about prayer, may we first be in prayer to you, asking that your spirit would awaken our hearts to what prayer is, how we ought to pray, and that we would, the Lord, be a church that would pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
Recently, I was reading in a book the story of a woman named Monica. She was a single mother with one son. And Monica, she was actually known to be a devout believer where every evening she would pray over her son when he was born. She would sing over him. And if you don't have a child, you go, what? Do parents really do that? I do that all the time with my kids. You just pray over them. You just sing over them. And that's what she would do every single night. Uh, But what ended up happening was her son, as he grew up, he was super smart. He got into philosophy. He actually wanted to be a philosopher. But he was also a known womanizer. Like, he just slept around all the time. He was a public drunk. People would see him on the streets just being inebriated. And he had no interest in Christianity. He had no interest in the God who his mother, Monica, worshipped. But Monica, she kept praying. Kept praying over and over again, week after week, month after month, year after year. And after about 30 years or so, when her son turned 28, he made plans to travel to Rome. And the reason why he wanted to travel to Rome was it was just like a party city. He just wanted to just live it up. And so he went there making those plans. His mom, Monica, heard about it. And she's just praying to, to God, like, would you stop this trip from happening? But the son had already departed, and he was already at Rome. And so what happened, though, was at Rome, Monica's son, he actually encountered God in a garden. And he wrote about how he surrendered his life to Jesus on that day. And he wrote in a book how he looks back on his life and he attributes what happened to him, not to that moment in the garden, but all those years where his mother Monica was praying for him. Her son, by the way, happened to be one of the most famous theologians in all time. Uh, Augustine, you guys may know as St. Augustine. Uh, He was the person who lived the life of debauchery. And yet through the prayers of his mother, he came to know Jesus and change his life. And he actually wrote his most famous book, Confessions, based upon as a tribute almost to his mother, to confess how this changed life came from all his mother's prayers. And the reason why I bring up that story is because we're talking about this idea of what prayer is. And last week we said, if we were to define what prayer is, it's simply talking to God, being with God. That's the most simple definition that we would give. Prayer is when you are talking to the living God, or if you get more deep, being with him. But today we're asking a second question, which is this. What happens when we pray? If we talk to God and we're with God, what happens when you actually pray? And today what I want to propose is this answer. Prayer releases power. In the Gospels, when Jesus is teaching his followers what prayer is, the main thing that he talks about and describes what prayer is, is that prayer, it does something in the world. It is something that brings real, tangible changes on your Mondays, on your Tuesdays, on your Wednesdays. It's not just something that happens on a Sunday that's in the spiritual realm, but it happens in a real, tangible way in your life if you should ask and pray. For example, Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, it says this. Jesus teaches, and if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Your prayers actually, you will receive it. Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus says this, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus teaches this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done. Tyler Stanton, he wrote this great book on prayer. He summarizes the teachings of Jesus of prayer like this. It's on the screen. He says, quote, yes, prayer stills us. It brings us peace. And it helps us come to terms with what is. Prayer changes the person praying from the inside out. But prayer also releases power. Prayer releases power to affect real change 
in the tangible world. That's how Jesus teaches what prayer is. And here is the challenge for us. Do you believe this? If you are a follower of Jesus and you profess, I follow him, I listen and I read the Bible and I believe what he says, do you believe what Jesus talks about with prayer? Do you think your prayers make a real tangible change in your life, in your work, in your marriage, in your day to day? If we're actually honest with ourselves, kind of struggle with that, right? Some of you, you struggle believing in prayer for intellectual reasons. You think, wait, isn't God sovereign? Doesn't he control everything? Won't God simply do what he wants, regardless of whether I pray or not? And when we think like that, we think, why pray? God's going to do what he wants, so it doesn't really matter. Or some of you, you struggle believing in this because you have trust issues. This sounds a lot like one of those spam emails you get where it goes, congratulations, you are qualified to win $100,000. Just reply yes, and we'll send you the information. It sounds too good to be true. If I just pray, God's going to answer it. Or for most of us here, the deepest struggle is actually for personal experiences. It's wonderful that Monica, she prayed, and her son became, say, Augustine, one of the greatest theologians out there. But what about when God did not answer my prayers? Because a lot of you, you prayed for things when you were younger. You prayed for small things. You prayed for big things. And God did not seem like he really heard you. What do we do with that? And so a lot of us here, we're open to praying if it centers us. We're open to praying just to kind of calm us. We're open to praying even if it means Jesus forms us. But prayer that actually changes things in real life, that's really hard to believe. And here is now the other challenge. What if Jesus was being serious? What if Jesus, he's telling the truth? That no, no, prayer, it does something very tangible in the real world. What if prayer was able to release power? In Luke chapter 11, Jesus, he taught how to pray through the Lord's prayer. And now Jesus, he expands on this by giving this parable, expanding on what it looks like to pray and what happens to pray. And we're going to take away three things about prayer from this parable. First, the power of prayer. Second, the problem of unanswered prayers. And lastly, the goodness found in prayer. So the power, the problem, and the goodness. First, let's talk about the power of prayer. So Jesus here, he's sharing a parable illustrating what prayer to God should look like. And this parable is very fascinating. You have to kind of understand the first century world that Jesus is living in to fully appreciate what's happening in this parable. Let's look at verses five to six again. Look what Jesus says. So Jesus said to them in verse five, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. So there's a situation where a friend goes to another friend's house and it's midnight. And I know for a lot of you, midnight is like when you start getting ready for bed or you're starting to look at your social media screens or whatever it might be. But back then there were no electricity. There was no lights that were there in the streets. Midnight was literally midnight. Think of it as 3 a.m. Everybody is asleep. And this person, the reason why he's visiting this friend's house is because he had a friend visiting that friend came over to spend the night, and the person's like, I have no food to offer him. Hospitality is really important. There's no 7-Eleven. There's no DoorDash. So he goes to a neighboring friend, asks him, hey, do you have any bread that I could give to this person who's visiting me? Look at verse 7, how the story continues. Then he will answer, this is Jesus saying, then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. 
The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. Now this home is a first century home. Most homes back then was one bedroom. And this person who's in the home, he has young kids, they're all sleeping. If you're a parent and you have a young child and you put them to bed, the worst thing that could happen is if someone rings the doorbell. That's when the tempers get lost, right? Don't do that. And yet this is what's happening. This person is going over to this uh, parent's house with young children who are asleep, knocking on the door, say, hey, I need some bread. And this person's like, dude, what are you doing here? But then look at verse eight, what it says in the parable. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That word shameless boldness, it's a really difficult word to translate from the Greek to the English. Some of your translations might say persistence, but there's different words that's used there. However, most scholars would actually conclude that the closest way you could translate this word, it's almost like asking rudely. It's like this type of audacity, like how dare this person in this crazy context go to this friend and ask him for this request. The audacity of this person, and that's why the friend answers the friend's request. Now, what does this parable teach us about prayer? And one thing we need to get really clear, first and foremost, is this parable, it does not show us how God answers our prayers. Jesus is not saying God is like this grumpy neighbor who's sleeping, but just keep bugging him, keep knocking, and then he will answer your prayers. That is not what this parable is saying, because the way this parable is even prompted is back in verse 1. Verse 1, remember why Jesus is even talking about prayer? He's saying the disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. So Jesus is letting us know through this parable, this is how you pray. This is the posture you should have when you pray. And so how should we go to God in prayer based on this parable? Three simple things that Jesus is saying. Number one is this, when you pray, ask. Don't just share about your life, although God wants you to share about your life, feel free to. But God is more than your therapist. Ask him, ask him for things. And the reason why this is important is because when you ask someone for something, it kind of reveals the nature of your relationship with them. For example, let's pretend if I was waiting in line after service for water, and there's a line there. If there's a line there, I will wait in line. But if I happen to see my wife in the very front, I have zero problems going, "Hun, can I get a glass of water? Like, can you get it for me? I ask my wife for a lot of things. And she asked me for a lot of things. And the reason why is because there is intimacy and trust with one another to ask each other things. If I don't know you, I won't ask you for things. Or if I do ask you, I'm going to be super apologetic. Like, I'm so sorry. Can you get me a glass? But me and my wife, we just ask each other. No problem. And Jesus is saying that's the type of relationship that God wants to have with his people. A type of relationship where he's not a stranger, but there's intimacy and trust where you can ask him for things. Not only that, when you pray, don't just ask, but ask unashamedly. Why was this person's request in the parable described as shamelessly bold? And the reason why is because, dude, it's the middle of the night. He goes and knocks on the door, and he's not saying, oh my gosh, my wife, she's, she hit her head. Can you take me to the hospital? Dude, he asks in the middle of the night, going, hey, do you have any bread? The audacity of that, who does that? Imagine in the middle of the night, I'm live with my wife and I wake up and I shake my wife going, hon, I'm thirsty. Can you get me some water? Dude, she will look at me going, get it yourself. Why would I wake her up? The audacity for me to wake her up in the middle of the night to ask for water. But you know who does that to me all the time? My kids. 
they don't care. They will just go up and start poking me, going, I need some water. And I do it every time. It's frustrating, but I will do it. Because my kids, they have no problem asking me. And I know they need it. And Jesus is saying, this is how you're to pray to God. Pray to God that way. Don't just pray to him and ask him things because you're intimate like a spouse. You're dependent like a child. Ask him for things and ask unashamedly. And not only that, don't just ask unashamedly, but don't stop asking. My kids, sometimes they'll poke me, asking me, to, you know, I know what they want. They want me to get up and get them water. And I just pretend I don't see them. I just pretend that I'm still so deep in my sleep, but they don't care. They keep poking. They keep shaking because they know I will eventually get up and I'll eventually do whatever they need in the middle of the night. And Jesus is saying, don't just ask God for things. Don't just shake God and ask unashamedly. Keep shaking, believing that he's going to respond to you. He will respond to you. And what happens when you pray this way? Power. Your prayer releases power. Because God, he answers prayers when you ask him. That's why verse 9, look how Jesus applies the parable. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. That's his application of the parable. God answers prayers. Sometimes the way God answers prayers is through squiggly lines, the way I describe it. Uh, squiggly lines means like it's not like this direct answer, but some authors would describe it as if you start praying like this, you will start to notice surprises. A lot of surprises just start happening in your life or coincidences start to happen. Sometimes it might be a straight line though where you just notice like real miraculous life changes happen. But we have to pray with power. We have to pray in a way that unleashes that power. And I want to I know like, do you feel that type of prayer in your life? Do you pray that way? Where you're asking, asking unashamedly and you're not stopping. And that's the problem with a lot of us. We don't experience power in our prayers because we don't pray the way Jesus tells us to pray. What do we do? Let's look up on the screen. First, next slide. Oh, actually, that's an important question. Is God sovereign or do our prayers make a real difference? Let me talk about that first. Um, Is God sovereign or do our prayers make a real difference? You know what the answer is? Here's the answer. Yes. You have to hold those two in tension. If you eliminate one of those, God is sovereign, my prayers make a difference, you run into big problems. You have to hold intention. No, God, he's in, he's in control of all things, and my prayers make a real difference. That's the tension that's in the Bible, and you have to hold that tension. That's the only way your prayers are going to make sense. And so if that's the blockage that's there, just know you have to say yes to that tension. And if you have more questions about that, I could talk about that more. But why do we not pray? Back to the main point. Uh, Why do we not pray with power, at least? And here's the answer. Number one is this. We don't ask. When we pray, we don't often ask. We'll share. We'll vent. But do you ask? A lot of us, we struggle with fatalism. Whatever happens will happen. Or self-sufficiency. I don't need to ask for that. I can just take care of it myself. And the result is you have all these burdens that you have that you just kind of ruminate at night. You have these burdens that you share with your friend, with your small group, with your spouse, with your therapist. But you will never pray it to God. You will never ask God about it. And you just lack intimacy and trust with him. We don't ask. Here's a second problem we have. We don't, we, when we do ask, we ask with timidity. 
We ask with timidity. We never shake God with our prayers. Instead, we pray like the most vague, safe prayers. And you can't even tell if God even answers it. Like when you pray for something like, God, give me that job, but only if it's your will. May I have this job, but may your kingdom come and your will be done. Whatever you want, Lord, but give me this job, maybe. And it's like, dude, how, what, does, what are you supposed to do with that? If someone talked to me that way, I'm like, what do you want? And yet so many of us here, whether it be this fear, disappointment, or you're just taught to pray in this kingdom way, like you're just really timid and safe in your prayers so that you don't get disappointed with whatever happens. We ask with timidity. And lastly, why we don't pray with power is this. We give up. We give up. It's easy to pray and ask people to pray one time. It's easy to pray for the same thing two times, maybe even three times. But man, praying day after day, week after week, year after year for the same thing, that's really hard. That's really challenging. And that's why a lot of us here, you have not experienced surprises in your life in a long time. You do not see coincidences taking place throughout your week. You do not see real change because you haven't been praying. I know this past year, I've been really trying to grow in prayer. I shared this at the end of the series, not just in frequency or like discipline, but like I've been trying to like ask God, like Asking him, like, you know, hey, like, this is what's going on in my life. Like, I need this. I've been asking boldly these days, and I've been not giving up, just praying for, like, the same things over and over again. And recently, I, I got challenged, and I was trying to share if I should share this with the church, but, you know, I just feel like I should share it. I, I remember I got challenged recently because there was a, you know, a lot of people are going through stuff in our church, but there was this one couple, they were pregnant, and I remember they told me a few weeks ago, like, hey, there's kind of some, like, complications with the, the baby, and, you know, if you could just pray for the situation. You know, I've heard people share that with me before, and I said, yeah, you know, of course I'll be praying for that. And they just let me know, like, they might go to the hospital at any moment, so I just say, hey, keep it in my prayers. And this past week, I got a message where they actually went to the hospital. And I remember when they went to the hospital, they told me there's a lot of bleeding that's taking place. If you've never had a baby before, just know when there's a lot of bleeding, that's not good news. And again, I have all these like, past stories of people losing their children and during pregnancy just popped and flashed in my brain. And I remember I told our pastoral staff, I'm like, hey, like, we got to get ready. There might be some like, grieving that we have to do. And so, you know, I'm just kind of like, a little bit dejected. And I remember the next morning, um, I was literally expecting the worst. I had no idea what's going to happen. And so I was going to pray my normal safe prayers, like, Lord, let them trust you, like whatever happens or so forth. But I don't know what happened. I'm not sure if it's like the year of just praying. I had this like weird boldness where I'm just like, nah, like, Lord, like, can you like save that baby? Like, can you like save her? Like, give her another day. Like, let her live because this is messed up. Like, that couple does not deserve to grieve like that. And I don't know what it was, but I just tried like, that was like a weird, bold prayer that I prayed. You know, I just, and I went about my day. And I remember later that afternoon, the husband messaged me saying, hey, it's still kind of crazy, but wife is stable. Baby is stable. Still a long road, but we're okay today. And I remember when I heard that message, I was like, oh my gosh, like what just happened right now? Like, did it get, did everything stabilize because of the medicine and the doctors or did my prayers make a difference? And when I thought about that question, I came to the conclusion, I don't know and I don't care. I really don't care what it was. All I know is for the first time in a long time, I felt the power of prayer in my life, and I'm going to keep praying for them boldly. And I know for me personally, when I hear stories like this in a church where they're always saying, pray, and this crazy story happens, I don't like that oftentimes because that kind of makes the congregation think, like, if I just pray, it's going to happen. And that's not always the case, right? It doesn't always happen that way. 
But I also get discouraged when a church, we never have stories like this. Like when you never hear stories like this from one another, is your church pray? Like does your, do you pray? When's the last time you heard a story like this? When's the last time you experienced a story like this? And a lot of us here, we don't because we are praying, but we're not praying with the type of boldness, with the type of audacity, with the type of pleading, with the type of continuation that Jesus teaches us to pray. And so we're praying, but there's no power in our prayers. And so here's a question to ask. Do you see surprises in your life? Do you ever notice coincidences? Did you see any this past year? Do you see life changes? Some of you, the only time you pray, and this is usually for people who don't go to church or you kind of go to church, you only pray for big things. When there's a crisis in your life, you'll pray like a Hail Mary prayer, God, just help me this one moment. But you have no idea what's going to happen because you have zero intimacy with God because you never pray otherwise. You pray once every two years, like a real prayer. Some of us, we struggle. You only pray for big things, never for small things. Versus others, if you grew up in the church, you pray all the time for little things, but you don't pray for big things anymore because you've been disappointed. There's a disappointment that you've experienced and you don't believe God enough anymore that he will actually do anything with those big things. And there's a good reason for that because at least to the second point, the problem of unanswered prayers. Jesus tells us in verse 10, look at his promise that he gives. Verse 10, this is the promise. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. He doesn't say you might find it. You might receive it. It might open. He says it will happen. He gives a promise. And this promise, that's the problem. Because for a lot of us here, what about the time when I prayed and I asked God, let me get into that university. Let me get into that dream college. I had many of my friends at UCI very disappointed at being at UCI. Because they want to go to UCLA, their dream school. And all the UCLA Bruins are all disappointed. They want to get into Stanford. We're all disappointed. And we're all like, why didn't God receive that prayer? He didn't seem to hear me. Or some of you might be a little more serious. We're like, you know, we've started a, we, started, we got married. We had plans to start a family. We've been praying for that. There's been complications, but we've been praying. Why has God never opened the womb in our family? Or what about that time that I remember in my childhood where a whole church rallied around this one member because their family member was sick and we prayed, we prayed, we prayed and God did not heal them. What do we do with that? What happens is when you really believe in prayer and it does not go answered, man, does that lead to a crisis of faith? That leads to a loss of faith? Or for most of us, it leads to a dysfunctional faith? You know what dysfunctional faith looks like? It's like a dysfunctional marriage. Healthy marriages, you talk, you communicate, you bother, you ask for things, you ask them, you change. No, you change. And you know, even though that's not fun, at least you believe they could change. So that's why you keep talking. The day it gets dysfunctional is when you stop. You stop believing, ah, nothing's going to happen. We'll live together. We'll do life together, but I'm not going to ask my spouse for anything. That's like a lot of us with God. Oh, you believe in God. You'll still identify yourself as a Christian, but will you dare ask him for anything anymore? Nothing serious. Nothing serious. And it's good reason. God doesn't answer my prayers. And so we have to ask, well, how do we deal with this tension? Why does God tell us to ask, to seek, and to knock, but we don't always receive, we don't always find, and the door tends to feel closed? And let me, again, I'm not sure, there's a lot of resources about this that you could look up 
there's a lot of books about this, and a lot of the answers may not be satisfying. Even today's answer may not be satisfying. But let me just curate three answers, propose three answers for our congregation that hopefully at least gives us things to chew on if we ever wrestle with the idea of unanswered prayers. Here's the first reason why sometimes God does not answer prayers. God's ways. This is the easiest one. There are some prayers we ask that are not in line with the way of Jesus. If you grew up in the church, how are we taught to end our prayers? What's the phrase we say? Anybody? I think I've heard someone lip it. In Jesus' name, right? In Jesus' name. That's not just a random thing our parents or pastors taught us. It's in the Bible. John chapter 14, verse 13 says this. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that my father may be glorified in the son. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of us were told to just put that at the end of our prayers because we almost, I'm not even sure why we know why we do that. It's almost treated like this formula, like open sesame. Whereas a better way to do is probably open your prayers in Jesus' name and start praying. Because this phrase is not meant to be this little token phrase that you put as a formula at the end. It's actually a heart posture. It's meant to say, hey, whatever is in line with what Jesus wants, then just know Jesus is going to hear that prayer. And he answers that. In other words, the main point of us is that there are some things we want and we think it's good for us. But if it's not in line with the way of Jesus, Jesus is not going to answer that prayer. For example, Lord, kill that person, smite them because they're shady. That's probably a real prayer. Feel free to pray that. But if Jesus doesn't answer it, there's a good reason why. That's not in the, way, the line of Jesus. That's not according to his ways. Or here's a more tricky one. Lord, be with this relationship. I hope it could work out. Can you help us, protect us? And yet it could be, well, that relationship is leading you far away from Jesus, far more than you realize. And it could be Jesus is not going to answer that prayer. C.S. Lewis, he summarizes prayers like this. He says, quote, if God granted all the silly prayers I've made in my life, where should I be now? Where should I be now? Some prayers are not answered because they are not aligned with God's ways. That's an easy one. Here's a little bit more tricky one. Second reason why prayers are unanswered is this, God's plans. There are some prayers we ask and they are being answered. It just takes a long time. Verse nine to 10 notices this progression in the passage. Ask, seek, knock. This is in the present progressive tense, meaning keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, because the answers sometimes do not come all at once. Sociologists, they have this description where they describe this idea of hard power versus soft power. Hard power is when you try to control something. Soft power is when you try to influence something. A lot of corporations, they actually notice that when corporations try to practice hard power upon their employees, they try to control them. It does not work well. Versus when they practice soft power, they influence them. It actually works a lot better. And prayers, it works a lot more, not like hard power where you're controlling God and controlling people, but it works a lot more like soft power where the spirit of God is working, influencing people. And that's why it's really important to continually praying because oftentimes what happens is the spirit is bringing in and answering prayers through influencing that person. And that's why the longest prayers that often take to get answered are when you pray for people. I know a lot of people, they're praying for their unbelieving spouse, their unbelieving children, their unbelieving parent. And just know, I don't know where they get this data, but they, people will say like, that takes like 10 to 20 years to see anything happen because it takes a long time for the heart and heart to change. Because we need to pray continually. My parents, they have an avocado tree. If you want avocados, just let me know. Like, just, it's really good. And my kids, they will see these avocados. 
and they want to pluck it right away because you know, they just see an avocado. But you, if you know trees, you know, like, dude, you have to let it stay on. The longer the fruit stays on the vine, the more nutrients and flavor you actually get into that fruit. And there's a right time where all the nutrients are there to pluck it and eat it. In a similar way, some of our prayers, the reason why it takes so long to answer is that there's a process that's happening, a plan that's taking place, and God is waiting for that plan to fully come into fruition. For example, you're praying your marriage gets better because your marriage is really hard, and you're wondering why is it getting better? And the reason why it's taking so long is because God is working on your spouse's heart to change, or God is working on your heart to change. So while you're waiting on God, God's, dude, I'm waiting on you, bro. What's going on with you? Because when you pray, we're often praying for results. But God, he's answering through a plan, this process, and sometimes it takes time. There's God's ways, there's God's plans. But then this leads to the final tricky one, which is what about those prayers that never get answered though? I pray for someone to live, they pass away. I pray to get married, I'm single and I'm old now. What do you do? And that's where God's promise is the final anchor for us. This is where um, it's really important to recognize, especially in the story of the Bible, your prayers are not just about you. Your prayers, according to the Bible, does not just affect you and your life. God has bigger plans to use your prayers to affect everything. In the story of the Bible, you just see God's people, they're always praying. He's always calling upon them to pray. And one question you might want to ask is, what happens to these prayers? Are they just like floating in the air? Are they just kind of gone? And there's a really interesting story in the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, that talks about the end of days. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, we see what happens to those prayers. It says here on the screen, When he took the scroll, this is Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls and filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Very fascinating. Again, I don't know what's going on in all those images, but we do want, want, know one thing. There's prayers, all the prayers of the saints being collected, being put in the scrapbook. Or if you want to use modern language, it's like my son, he collects Pokemon cards. He just holds them in a the folder. He preserves them. That's a picture of what God is doing. Every single prayer ever whispered, ever spoken, it is being collected and held together. And God is not just collecting these prayers, but we also see later, a few chapters later, what happens to these prayers. God uses them to make all things new. Chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8, verse 3 to 5 says this, And another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. And the angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and he hurled it to the earth. And this is the beginning of the new heavens and new earth. Again, we don't know how this happens. Don't know what this process looks like. All we know is that the renewal of the new heavens and new earth, it begins not primarily with scorching fire, with evangelism, or with missionary work. The beginning of the new heavens, new earth, it all happens when the prayers of the saints are poured down. God uses every prayer that was whispered, every prayer that we thought was unanswered throughout history to do something in the new heavens and new earth and create this new creation that's there. This reminds me of this artist. His name is Robert Silvers. He popularized this one type of art. It's called, I don't know if you ever heard of it, photo mosaics. Photo mosaics, it's pretty much when you get a thousand small photos and you combine them all together to make one new, large, beautiful image. So here's a couple examples of that. You ever see those, that type of artwork? 
what makes it unique is that all those small pictures are smaller pictures, and he gets them together to combine one new image. And I was reading an interview about, from Robert Silvers, and he says the reason why, or one insight about these images he makes is that he tries to pick images that aren't random, but it comes from that person's life. So for example, the JFK image, this, this picture here, it comes from his life or the time period that he lived, same with Anne Frank, the, her life, the time period that she lived. And he tries to not alter that picture because his whole point, he wants to show that all these events is what led to who this person was. All these events in history and their personal life, that's what made the person who they are. And he's trying to show through this picture that these events correlate into one giant, beautiful new image. And the story of the Bible says God's doing the same thing. Everything that's happened in human history, all the prayers that you have brought up to him, he is collecting them, holding on to them. And when the new heavens and new earth come, he is using them to paint a brand new canvas, a brand new image to present to us. And so if this is true, what we have here then is that we have a big problem. Unanswered prayers are a big problem. But a bigger problem are unasked prayers when we don't ask for prayers. Because we're told God uses every single prayer, all your tears, all your laments, all your worries that you lift up to him and he unleashes heaven on earth, whether now or in the creation to come. We are to call to ask still despite the uncertainty of how God asks for prayers. Now, at least to the last point, which is the goodness found in prayer. How do we actually keep praying this way? How do we actually keep praying and asking God, asking unashamedly, and continually asking, even though there's that feeling that is God even hearing me? And the only way you could answer this and you could still continually pray is how you view God. What is his image to you? And that's why Jesus, he ends his teaching on prayer, painting us and reminding us, This is who God is supposed to be to you. Verse 11 and 12, look what he says. Jesus says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I remember when I read this passage, I was thinking, dude, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up my phone and I'm going to record giving my daughter and telling her, hey, you want an egg? And I was going to give her like this fake snake and like, ha ha, and just like kind of trick her. And I was going to show it to you guys. But even the thought of it, I'm like, dude, I'm going to traumatize her. Like, that's, that's messed up. Like, I'm not going to do that. And Jesus is saying, dude, do you, do you think God does that to you? Like, do you really think that God, he gives you something that's going to hurt you? Whether through his silence that it seems like he's being, or whether it be the way he answers your prayers, do you, like, do you think that's what's happening? And all of us is like, yeah. Because naturally, when we look at our circumstances of life, we either think, oh, God must not care, because why is this happening to me? Or he must be punishing me for that thing I did back in junior high or in high school. That's the natural human response to God. But the gospel tells us, wait, wait, something's different now. If you're in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ really is the son of God, and if Jesus Christ really lived a perfect life for you and died for the penalty of your sins on the cross, and you have faith in him, then you're not just a new creation that's being formed, you have a new status. You're a child of God now. And the, the way you relate to God is very different. He's not this like distant deity anymore who's far away, who's like mad at you or judging you. He's not this judge who just condemns you only. He's not this person who looks down upon you. No, but he is a father. 
because you are in Christ. The gospel is meant to change our prayers and how we view how God answers our prayers. And if God is our father, the way we interpret how he comes to us and how we come to him should be radically different. And that's the only way you're going to be able to pray with power. Because if God is your father, you have the freedom to ask. Ask him. Don't treat him like an acquaintance. Don't treat him like somebody where, oh, I'm not really sure what, if I, how should I approach him. Dude, just ask him. Does God care about your week? If he's a distant deity, dude, why would a God of the universe care? One proposal that someone's asking, like, does God care you get this parking spot? Like, should you pray to get a parking spot? Should you pray you find friends at school? Should you pray you find friends at church? That seems so silly to us, right? And yet, I care if my son finds friends at church. I care if my son finds friends at school because I'm his father. And this is the invitation to us. If God is your father, pray for that parking spot. It's all good. Pray for that friend. Pray for your, whatever it is that's on your heart because he's your father and there's no prayer too small. Don't just ask, but if God is your father, ask unashamedly. Ask God unashamedly the big things that you would not ask anybody else. My daughter, she recently asked me to buy her a horse. Who does that? She would never ask any of you that. But she asked me, why? Because I'm her dad. She doesn't know any better. I'm not going to give it to her, but it's like, oh, I'm flattered that you would even think that I could buy you a horse. That's the father-son-daughter relationship. Ask for big things because he's your father. But also ask for everyday things because he's your father. There's no request too small that he does not care for. And most especially, because God is your father, don't stop asking. Don't stop asking. Because as you ask, he may answer now. You may wait. It may be a new heavens, new earth. But there's something that's going to happen in the present as you ask. Verse 13, Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us, he closes, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That seems so random. Lord, give me a car. Here's the Holy Spirit. Like, what in the world? Like, why does Luke say that? Why does Jesus say that? And I think the reason why is because, just to give an analogy, it reminds me of this situation when uh, my wife, she went out with the kids, Judah and Emma, and I was with my youngest, Izzy. She's two years old. And I thought we were going to have an awesome day just at home. But then, dude, she, like, scraped her knee. The whole day was ruined. Like, one scraped knee ruined the day. I'm just like, man, like, now she's annoying because she's, like, complaining about everything. And she kept complaining about her knee, this tiniest scrape. And so what I did was like, I grabbed her, I got the Neosporin, I put it on her, I put a Band-Aid, and now she's just screaming. She's just like, ah, going crazy on me. And again, dude, she has no way she could understand me saying, this is going to get rid of all the bacteria. This is what, like, she doesn't understand. She's just going crazy. And so the only thing I could do is just like hold her. And it's so funny, I hold her hand. She's like screaming at me, but then I hear, feel her hand, squeeze my hand. I'm like, oh, you need that comfort. You need me there. It's just human of you to do that. Because even though she doesn't understand why I'm doing this, she, she feels my presence there. And this is what Jesus is saying with the Spirit. There's things you want, and you're going to be asking, and you're not going to know why God is not answering the way you want him to answer. And you probably won't understand why. But one thing is, you're going to experience his presence, he says. You're going to literally experience the Spirit of God in you, especially in those moments when you're praying to him, asking, coming before him, and that's why in prayer, you feel power. The presence of God is with you. And so to conclude, again, I've said this from the very beginning. I'm going to say this every single week. 
The goal of the sermon series is not for us to walk away going, man, I know how to pray, or man, I learned about prayer. The goal of the series is not for us to have a good theology on prayer, as nice as that is. The goal is to pray. The goal is for us to actually get praying. As sloppy as your prayers may be, as uncertain as your prayers may be, the best way you can grow in prayer is by praying. And so a couple of practices for us. One practice is this, fine tune your daily rhythms of prayer. Last week, I proposed a challenge. Hey, think about how you pray. Where do you pray? When do you pray? How long do you pray? Everybody's different. Some of you are new moms, new dads. Some of you are working crazy hours. Some of you are college students where you're not really working at all. Everybody looks different. Some of you are morning people, you're night people. Customize when is the best time for you to make space to come before the Lord and pray before him. Fine tune your daily rhythms. Here's the second thing is, Practice what we call, again, a quiet time. And this is where I hope it, we can be encouraged. Uh, on our link tree, if you go to the next slide. Oh, is it up there? Yeah, this is what it looks like. And we, it's pretty much just a resource for our church where it's like, hey, this is how you, how you could pray. And I know for some of us, it's like when, I, when we say, hey, pray, it's like, what does it even look like? Can you do 10 minutes? It's literally 10 minutes of your day. For some of us, maybe it's hard to say, I'm going to pray every day. But it's like, hey, can you give God 10 minutes of your day? For some reason, that sounds a little doable. If you have more time, we have a 30-minute section that's down there. That might be for a few of us who are you know, really excited. But for the rest of us, you know, you're busy, you're tired. Can you give 10 minutes? See what that does to your soul. 10 to 15 minutes a day of just being before the Lord, silent, recognizing and reorienting who he is to you, scripture, asking what is on your heart, what do you want the Lord to do for you, and then yielding, which we're going to talk a lot more next week. Five, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes each and every day. And lastly, we need to do this together. Our church, we often pray by ourselves and we are burdened by ourselves. But what we need to do is we need to spread that burden where all of us are carrying that together. I wish all of us can know all the people in our church who are struggling. I know a lot about it. I hear a lot about it, so I am often burdened. But man, do I see the blessings. When I hear prayers being answered, I'm like, dude, I wish our whole church could know so that we could all see the power of God moving. And for a lot of us here, we're never gonna be burdened and we're never gonna see the blessings of who God is if we're not sharing how we need to pray for each other. And so here at our church, we wanna create spaces for that and we keep talking about that. But before we create our own personal time to pray, let me pray for us and we'll end our message today. Father in heaven, I just lift up our church to you. I pray that we would be a church that would not just practice